This is the Journal of a Madman podcast, interview edition. Today's guest is the totally inspiring Kim Catton, the CEO of WB Co. As well as being a boss-ass businesswoman, Kim is an incredible mama first. Kim talks about her struggles with conceiving, miscarriages, and the hurdles which they overcome dealing with a child with health issues. I feel honoured to be sharing Kim's untold story with you. Remember to like, follow and to subscribe and remember to tell at least one friend about this deep dive into the inner workings of a mama's thoughts, fears and truth. Right, enjoy! Hello, Kim. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I no am problem. absolutely buzzing to have you. Oh, so thanks for having me. Oh, it's <laughs> so exciting. And it could just because I know how tight your schedule is. So for you to yeah. stick us in. Oh, do you know what? When I, when you kind of got in touch and, and stuff, I thought people don't really see the mum side of me. So I thought, no, this would be really nice to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, thank you for having me. Well, thanks. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, mm-hmm. could you give us a little whistle-stop tour? We run a company in Durham selling um, skincare and cosmetics. So we formulate, we, we pack, we fulfil everything all in our HQ in Durham. Uh, yeah, we've got, we've got some lovely stockists now. So we're stocked in places like Liberty, Harrods... Look fantastic. Um, yeah, it's doing good. It's Isn't doing good. that amazing though? Oh, I love it. Because didn't your business start just in the kitchen, you and your mum? It did. It started with me and my mum in the kitchen. So I was a makeup artist for a long time um, and also a nurse. So I think the two amalgamated together and we kind of got into formulation and stuff. Um, and yeah, we started in my mum's kitchen and very quickly we started hiring staff. The first staff member we hired was still in her kitchen. So they, we were like, the address is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was great. It really, it's, it's only been five years now, but it, we've kind of had phenomenal growth and um, we've got a wonderful team now. So it's lovely. It's lovely. Amazing. I love it. So mm-hmm. the reason I asked you on here today is to share your untold story. Lovely. Something yeah. that nobody knows about you or yeah. a very small percentage of people know. Yeah. Um, and I know we've had a conversation prior mm-hmm. and the whole point of this journey Mm -hmm. in the journal is to share every aspect of parenting yeah so it's not just all rainbows and flowers and you know Mm -hmm. kisses it's it's hard it's really hard so Mm -hmm. i'm really honored to have you on to share your story so the floor is yours yeah well i guess first of all thanks for having us because i do think where else can you when where else can you have this conversation and not be awkward because if you're having a conversation about giving birth or pregnancy and you chuck your trauma in the conversation, it's like silence. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> you don't want to make other people uncomfortable, do you? But essentially, it's the truth for a lot of people. A lot of people have had some kind of traumatic experience or difficult time. So I, I guess my, my difficulties um, started with even getting pregnant. So I didn't ovulate pretty much at all for what eight nine years or so um do you know why that was no I don't I think it's kind of ran in the family so um yeah there's a couple of people in my family that have had difficulties with fertility 
So yeah, but I, but I actually don't know. I've, it was never kind of found out. I just went on contraception at like 15. And then when I came off, nothing started again. So I did have periods when I was younger, and then which is one of the reasons I went on contraception. Came off it, and then that was it. Just didn't have another period for years and years. And at first, in my 20s, I was loving it. I thought, oh, this is great. Now I don't get periods. And I didn't really even connect the dots of, oh, I don't get periods, but when am I going to have kids and how's this going to pan out <clears throat> until I started thinking about getting married and, and having a family and stuff so yeah then I think it started to become apparent my sister who's my twin um, had quite a lot of um, fertility treatment and I think that's when it's uh, watching her go through that I was like I can't I'm not as strong as her I can't do that it's just absolutely hell and really really difficult to watch I think as well um the kind of repetition of failed cycles was just absolutely awful so yeah I just didn't I always kind of put it off I was like oh I can't do that I don't want to do that so I just didn't um and then I think it got to a point where I was like no I think I'd been married uh I don't know six years or so and I was like I really do want a baby now and you know, I really want to try and so we're maybe going to have to go to the fertility clinic. So I did, booked the appointments, went in and they gave me some medication to start. Something told me not to take that medication, something, and I didn't. Now, miraculously, I was pregnant. Oh, God. <laughs> What was the medication though? It was a medication to, it was hormones. Okay. So, but if I'd have taken it, I most certainly would have lost that, okay. that baby. So, um, I, but I was pregnant. So I waited, I thought, no, I'm going to wait two weeks and then I'm just going to, you know, go from there. So I didn't take the medication and I, I, I did a pregnancy test because, you know, you, you just, I don't even know what made us do it, but you... Mother's instinct. Yeah, I just did it. Straight yeah, away. yeah. did it and I was pregnant and I was over the moon. I was just like, can't believe this is happening. I'm so excited. Um, my identical twin was pregnant at the same time. So we were just like, this is perfect. It's it's just lovely. Um, so yeah, m- my appointment for my scan, I couldn't get in till I was about 15 weeks or so. So I, at the 12 week mark, I'm having all these symptoms. My boobs are hurting, I'm sick, I'm this, I'm that. Um, and yeah, everything seemed fine and then went for the scan. I mean, I told everybody at 12 weeks because I was 12 weeks. I thought, oh, 12 weeks. I haven't had my scan, but I told everybody. Um, went in for the scan and heard those hideous words. There's no heartbeat. Hmm. So by that point, I was like, just shattered. Like, and I think as well, my partner, he was still excited. And the second she put the, um, the ultrasound kind of on on my area and had a look I knew straight away just a face I just knew that something wasn't right I didn't know what but I knew something wasn't right but he was still like smiling and happy and like he was still excited and he was all and, and I just was shaking my head at him and he was like what what's like and I was like no 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 some, like something's not right something's not right then I started crying she started she she was very professional but she was clearly visibly struggling to explain the situation but obviously I was quite far on so they they basically said oh it's been a missed miscarriage and, and, and go home and we're really sorry 
at that point, I was like a nurse, and how how the treatment was having dealt having to have a miscarriage at home with no real information no real kind of like leaflets to say you know what it's going to look like what the, what the, the baby's going to look like so did you get sent home with some drugs to no take? no no they basically said we want to wait because again once now that we've told you this they basically said we don't know for sure if the baby's heartbeat might start or some because i couldn't give them dates so when i said i was 14 weeks they said oh you might you might not be 14 weeks so we'll wait a bit longer and do another scan in two weeks. So there was this glimmer of hope that I was sent home with, but they, they kind of just said, we don't know, you might have a miscarriage, you might not, we don't know. Within 24 hours, I'd started bleeding. And they kind of explained on the phone, I rang and they said, oh, it's because your, your body knows. So now that your mind knows, it's gonna kind of do what it needs to do to process it. And I was like, just distraught obviously just a mess um the kids knew so haven't I, I just thankfully I had my sister and really great support and my partner was great um through it all obviously he's going through the trauma as well so we kind of dealt with that um as best we could you know um and then from there I was like I, I can't I'm not sure where to go from here or what to do. I was still under the fertility clinic. It kind of kick-started a bit of a cycle um, once I'd lost that baby. And and yeah, I think I... It, it just changed us. It just changed us because it wasn't talked about. Nobody talked to me. It wasn't even like a possibility. What if I have a miscarriage? It wasn't something that you know, you, you, I thought about, I was just, I'm pregnant, yay, everything will be great and I'm excited and what names shall we have and let's paint the nursery. So, you you know, I think for me, before that, the anxiety around pregnancy was never there and then it just magnified. So, um, I mean, I had the getting pregnant worry, but that, to me, that was the issue and then after that, I was like, yay, we've done it, woo, everything's great. And then, um, obviously, it wasn't. So, we... Kind of, I took a break um, from everything and I was just like, I just need some time to process um, and grieve and, and go through this. There were some great charities, so Tommy's helped. Um, and I did utilise them because I needed support at the time. That just, there was no real kind of conversation. I think at the, now there's things like the wave of light on Instagram where people can kind of talk about it, but it was very taboo. It was very kind of... Hush, hush. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like a secret, mm-hmm. which was a bit bizarre because, like, for me, I was like, I've just lost my child. Like, I have to keep it a secret. Like, what? This is crazy. So, yeah, I think that was a really difficult time. And then after that, um, kind of over the next three years or so, um, I had another four miscarriages. So it was just a long, really long, difficult, anxiety-ridden time trying to get pregnant. Um, Or trying to keep keep the pregnancy, pregnancy. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because when I got pregnant with my little girl now, so I have one little girl, Adeline now, um, and when I got pregnant with her, something, something, from the second I did the test, something felt different. And again, 
I don't know what this is, but I rang my best friend and I said, I'm pregnant again. And just said, oh, sweetie, you know, and, and this was kind of a regular thing. Now I was like, oh, I'm pregnant again. What's going to happen? The anxiety starts and how many weeks, you know what I mean? Can we get to and so on? And just said, how are you feeling? I said, something's different. Something's different. And she kind of said, that's good. That's good. And I, and I, and I, and I kind of said, I think I'm going to have a little girl. And she went, what? And I said, I don't know what it is, but I think I'm going to have a little girl with blue eyes and blonde hair. Which is bizarre, because if anyone hasn't seen me before, I've got really dark eyes and dark hair. I mean, I've got a bit of highlights through them, but, uh, you know, <laughs> naturally, old, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> naturally I'm, I'm dark. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I just said something feels different. And she said, that's good. Just see how you go difficult for my partner to kind of process because by then I think he'd just become slightly detached from things um but yeah so we got early scans went in heartbeat was fine and that was a moment um because had, had you never I'd had never that. had the heartbeat moment yet no no so I bet that was so six weeks they gave us by that point I think they'd said you needed three miscarriages or something to be able to get an early scan Oh, so, so you got that under the NHS? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they, by the time I'd had that last one, they said, all right, bring you in for a six-week scan and we'll just do that nice and early. And, and even then, they, we were like, well, I think I was between six and eight weeks, they were like, oh, there's a strong heartbeat there. And everyone in the room was quite kind of teary and stuff because they knew my situation. So I was hysterical and just crying my eyes out and really, really happy. Went back for another scan everything was fine and then went back for the 12 week scan everything was fine so I was just like wow this is happening this is really happening really started to get the sickness and all the rest of it and really welcomed it because up until about week 17 which I was like oh go and do this <laughs> but yeah so I think my pregnancy with Adeline something definitely felt slightly different there um mother's intuition I don't know what it was but yeah, I then got kind of to about, uh, I think I was probably about 18 weeks or so and started to get really big. Um, and I mean, I was just enjoying it. I think I was, tw- no, I was 12 weeks and COVID hit. So then I was like, oh, wow, a global pandemic, yay. <laughs> just sitting in my pyjamas for the rest of the pregnancy. I just did, we didn't know what was going on and I was getting phone calls to go back to nursing and I was like, nope nope, I'm not going back, I am protecting my child at all costs, this is all I care about, and, you know, um, yeah, so I think it was interesting going through that whole experience, having having a baby in general, um, as you know, like, for me, changes everything, changes your priorities, it changes your purpose, doesn't it? So the second you kind of get pregnant... The second you start thinking about this other human, you have a new purpose for living, even. Before that happens, you don't, you, you have a different purpose. It, and when all of a sudden you have this other child, this other human, you start looking at yourself differently. You start looking after yourself differently. You start getting, it's a different purpose. So I think for me, when I lost that first baby and I had to go back to, what's my purpose now? Having had this new purpose taken away from me, that I really struggled with and I think yeah it just it was like um 
emotionally draining to try and figure out myself where I go from there. But yeah, so I went through kind of quite a bit with that. The pregnancy side of things, um, I was anxious up until about uh, 20 weeks or so. Then I start. I got to a point and, um, and I just told myself, I think, you know what, Kim, like, enjoy every day. You're living in anxiety every day. But every day is another bit is another day with this baby. So enjoy it. Because you get an extra day with your baby. And if no matter what happens, what are you gonna do? If you lose this baby, you will either look back, you'll look back and you'll think, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't capture every moment. I didn't take the most of it. So I did. So I just thought, no, I'm gonna enjoy this pregnancy. And that kind of middle period and that middle section was um was quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did the sickness stop? 19 weeks. I'm so jealous. Were you sick? The entire way through. Were you? Horrendous. Oh, God, it's awful. Just hung over for 41 that's, weeks. That's exactly what it feels like, isn't it? It's Being like the worst, worst hangover of your life mm-hmm. for 24 hours. Without the joy of the night before. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You might have one one night before. <laughs> <laughs> that you can potentially remember, but no. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, eh? Mm-hmm. The sickness is tough. Yeah, I got I got through that. Got to about twenty eight weeks and had my unusual appointment with the midwife, and she said you need to go to the hospital. Mm. Heart sank. Like, oh my god, what? She said the heartbeat's fine. She listened with the Doppler. She actually played it for us. Said heartbeat's all fine, but I think you have polyhydramnios, which is too much fluid, and we don't know why. I was measuring. Had you ever heard of that before? No. So was it a quick Google search in the car? Yes. Freaking out. Exactly. Google search in the car. I actually rang my mum and she said, oh, I had that. And I was like, what? She had the same thing, but she had um, twins. So myself and Kirsty. So while she, so it's much more common in twins. So I was like, what do you mean you had that? She said, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I had that. I can't remember. So I'm, I'm having a look and obviously the whole horrors come up and I'm thinking, now what? They sent me for this emergency scan and um, sure enough, I was measuring 40 weeks at 28 weeks. A lot of fluid. Do you know that uncomfortable stage at the end? I was like that from 28 weeks onwards. Oh. And I just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, baby was small, well, just nice size in terms of what they were measuring, but fluid was massive. So, what's the complications with that then? So the complications, what I found out from the midwife and the consultant pretty much straight away, was you immediately become high risk for prolapse cord, um, high risk of um, the baby coming very early, um, and I think it was a higher risk of hemorrhage. So, a very scary time for me, all of a sudden. I didn't want to go out the house. I didn't want to be too far away from a hospital. Um, they'd said if I, if my waters broke, I had to ring 999 and get into a certain position on the floor in case the cord got trapped underneath. So normally the cord's kind of where it is in baby's heads engaged nice low and uh, nice and low. But she was just floating all over the place. So if my waters had broke, the cord could have got underneath of, of, of the head and then if she goes underneath and squashes the cord then you know, she hasn't got oxygen and it becomes very, very um, crucial that she gets out very quickly. 
so yeah a lot to kind of process and think about it so that became difficult to even like all right i'm going out for the day now what <laughs> you know um i think so yeah i kind of just again i was like enjoy it enjoy it try and enjoy this try and enjoy it um they kept saying we're going to bring you early we're going to bring that early so they were like we just need to get you to 32 weeks and then it, i got to 32 weeks and they were like right we're going to take you to 34 i got to 34 weeks and they were like right we're going to take you to 36 so i was just like right okay this is fine this is fine by the end i was like one of the the, the midwife was arguing with the consultant that i needed admitting the consultant was saying she doesn't, she's fine. The midwife was saying she needs to be admitted. I was just stuck in the middle of, like, all my days. Like, please just make sure the baby's okay. So, yeah, I think there was always, we'd always, they'd always kind of, like, talk to us about there might be something um, that's maybe wrong or, I don't like the word wrong, and I'll explain why it's like, but something wrong with the baby, which is what I was told. I don't like it. I don't like saying it like that because... I'll explain why in, in a bit. But they they basically weren't sure. They said she might have a fistula, a hole in her stomach. They said, essentially, the swallowing of the fluid wasn't happening properly. So for some reason, there was excess fluid and that they thought it was something to do with the baby. So they said they would do checks immediately when she was born. Um, I had labour. How long? When did you get up to? 38. 38. Yeah. They literally hummed and hard at 36 weeks and they said, well, I'm going to take you to 38. Um, which was amazing. But I swear, I couldn't breathe or anything. I was like, my, I'm on a table, so my stomach, my whole entire area was rock solid. Like that noise. It was like that, yeah, yeah. Um, there's two of my friends pregnant at the same time and they were like, how? <laughs> you feel like you're going to pop it and it's just going to... How are so, you standing up? Yeah, yeah. So we got to 38 weeks, which was good. Um, and they said, we're going to induce you. Um, yeah, so I did all the hypnobirthing tapes. Did you hypnobirth or anything? With Fred, with both of them, yeah. yeah. So with Fred, I was I was induced at 38. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the hypnobirthing was an absolute dream yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. With Eva, no. Yeah. Um, but the breathing techniques were second to none. So how long were you in labour with, with with Fred? Fred? Went in on the Monday pessary. Mm-hmm. Three pessaries later weren't working. Yeah. So by the Wednesday they stuck the oxytocin in. Yeah. Um, is that what it is? The drip. Um, oh, scent is it, is it not? The mm. scent drip. Yeah. Some <laughs> some drug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then within four hours he was out. Wow. Yeah. And Dale said it was the only four hours of our life together that I've not spoke. <laughs> <laughs> just in your... I just went somewhere else. Yeah. It was mad. It was absolutely... Yeah. It's like I was in like a meditative state. Yeah, yeah. Like, I honestly really enjoyed the hypnobirthing. Mm-hmm. And I was in it for like 28 hours or something. And then... Um, she said, we're just going to check you. And she said, you're five centimetres. And after 28 hours of that, and when she said five centimetres, I was already trying to push. So something just didn't connect. And I went, no, Did no, you no, have no, that no. though? Did you have the... She was on the side. Oh, okay. So yeah, I had the drip. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Because that makes drip. you want to push straight away. Oh, I was ill. I was really unwell. It did not, it did not agree with me. <laughs> so 
Yeah, I was pushing, but they'd said later on it was because her head was on the side. So the way that she was, mm -hmm. it, it just kind of... But I had a controlled... Um, what's it called? Contus? No, when they break your waters. Oh, okay. They had to control and break the waters, so keep the baby's head up and let the waters go. Isn't that mad? And it went over the bed and everything. I had so many waters. It was <laughs> really embarrassing. Um, so warm. Nobody tells you it's warm, do they? Um... Yeah, so basically went through all that and then she kind of um, was absolutely happy as Larry. Baby was absolutely fine through the whole thing. And at about 28 hours in, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I clicked out of it and that was it. Once I came out of it and she, the, the midwife was like, you're doing really well. And I was like, give me the drugs. <laughs> so by then, I think once I clicked out of it, I couldn't get back into it. Um, and I think I had like a 38-hour labour in total and then... During that, again, being a nurse doesn't help because you know things that you don't wouldn't potentially normally know. So I think about eight, eight bags of fluid later, I'm saying, I'm not urinating. Somebody come and do something about that because I'm not weighing and my cover is empty and I haven't weighed and you're putting more fluid up and I'm blown up like a balloon and I can't move and <laughs> my knees are even touching now. Like, I don't <laughs> Like, <laughs> I was just like a beached whale. Like, I think they put like eight litres or something in. And um, and I had to say, I had to actually say, like, look, I'm not, I'm not actually weeing here. And they came in and they were like, oh. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I wasn't well with the drug that they gave me. I was vomiting, like, clots of blood. I was, it was really not pretty. Um, and at about, I think it was about 38 hours in, they said, right, emergency section. She only got, I only got to eight centimetres. That whole time, 38 hours later, I got to eight centimetres. And they said, and I was at eight centimetres for a long time. And they were like, you're not shift, you're not moving, she's stuck. They then said, we really don't want to do a section because we think she's stuck really low down and we're going to have to push her back up and out that way. And she'd said, I was high risk of a bleed. So the surgeon, however, was incredible. The whole team were incredible. When I went in for that section, they made me at ease. It was calm. They were joking. They were laughing. A really nice experience. And I'd asked for, because of the hypnobirthing, a natural section. I didn't know it was a thing. But I'd asked for, and then, I mean, they were joking. They were like, you brought your yoga mat with you? And like, are you, are you want some kale instead of toast? But I mean, they, and it was funny, but yeah, what it meant was that we had skin to skin straight away while Addie, while I was getting kind of stitched up and everything. They didn't take her away and wrap her in anything. They just put her straight on me. So I had a lovely moment with her. Um, when I was kind of getting sorted and stuff, um, they did the checks. So they came in, did all the checks and they said everything was fine. And I was like, oh my God. We've done it. We've done it. And I remember fist bumping my partner. <laughs> fist bump. She's we made a human. Yeah. And I was just like, the new bomb bubble became a thing and that was it. I was in this bubble. Um, yeah, and that, and that was it. Kind of sent the family pictures and stuff. And I was just like, wow, this is incredible. She wasn't latching. And I wanted to breastfeed. Mm. I'll try and breastfeed. Um, and she wasn't latching. They said, oh, it'll come, it'll come. So I'm trying, I was trying to feed her. So then again, COVID, he got kicked out. Um, and, and I'm by myself in this room. With a C-section. 
Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. So I remember she pooed and I was like, yay! <laughs> I can change a nappy. I was really over the moon about that it. That black tar. The black tar poo. And I, I looked over, I was on the bed and the suitcase was on the floor. And I kid you not, I thought, right, I'm going to have to get it. I have to get the suitcase. So it took us about 20 minutes. But I pretty much crawled, got it, got all the nappies, got everything changed out, put out, she pooed straight away again. And I didn't get more than one nappy from the floor. Because I, I had just become a mother, so I didn't know that's what you had to do. So I was up and down a few times before I put everything within reach around the bed. <laughs> <laughs> like stacked up. Um, and yeah, we had a lovely kind of 24 hours, Addie and, and I. Just snuggling and cuddling and having those first kind of like bonding moments. Um, so the next day, um, they did the, some more checks, some more baby checks. And immediately the the kind of nurse's face, um, when she was looking around, she'd opened my Addie's mouth and had a look and stuff. And she just, her face dropped and she said, oh. And I was like, what do you mean, oh? What do you mean, oh? What's the matter? She said, has anybody in your family got a cleft palate? And I was like, no. And what does that mean? It's just, <laughs> what is that? I said, no. And she went, oh, well, she has. And I went, what? She went, oh. She, she was very untactile and unkind of sympathetic or anything. I don't know. But she, she was, was like. surprised herself she, as well. She was like, oh, right. And she kind of handed her his. And she said, yeah, yeah, look. And showed us inside of her mouth. Bizarrely, I'd seen it, but it didn't register that there, that there was something. Because I was in this newborn bubble, I'd had five days of labour or something. And and I was just like, um, right. And when I looked, there was just a hole. Just She didn't have a roof of her mouth, so there was no roof of her mouth. So seeing that, I was like, started to cry. I was like, is she okay? What does this mean? Like, have been feeding her? Where's the feed been going? All these questions immediately... I started crying and she just looked at me and went, I'll get the nurse. And went and then left. The nurse came in and said, oh. And it was very much like, oh, we're sorry. But nobody could explain anything. And I was like, why are we sorry? Is she okay? That's all I care about. Is, is it fine? Does she need surgery? When does she need surgery? What's going to happen? Um, I just said, what, what's going to happen? They said, oh, she will need a surgery and we don't know when. But we've rang the cleft palate team. They're on their way from the RVI. So I was like, that's quick. They're on their way, right? Okay, what does this, again, what does this mean? Um, I rang my mum. I said, she's got a cleft palate. And my mum says, really calmly, it's fine. Kim, it's fine. And I was like, but I don't know what to do. The, 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 the cleft palate team got there within about 20 minutes from the RVI. And then that scares you because you're like, why are you there? There was two so of quick? them. It was COVID. There was nobody allowed in the room normally. And all of a sudden, I've got a team of people around us. And I'm like, why are you here and what is happening? The first thing they did was just check her over and said, yes, it is a soft and hard cleft palate. And um, we're going to be the team that help you through this. We need to feed her because I also had gestational diabetes. <laughs> Stuck that in there. Um, and they said she was high risk of um, needing to go to ITU. Um so I was like, what do you mean? I was like, what do you mean you need to feed us? We're going to have to give her a bottle of milk. So 24 hours in, I was like, I, I don't want to. 
I really don't want to. I wanted to breastfeed. I want to breastfeed. And they point blank said, you will not be able to breastfeed. You won't be able to breastfeed her. And that's why she couldn't latch. And I was like, and they said, have you been feeding her? I said, yeah. And they said, she probably hasn't had anything, which broke my heart. Because I was like, she's hungry. <laughs> she's hungry. Now, looking back, she did have the food. She did. She's known Adeline now. She definitely had the food. She definitely had everything that she needed. And she had a lot of poos. So they'd said that actually she probably did have some, but she was exhausted from trying to get it out. So they gave her a bottle of milk and they were teaching me, it's a special teat, it's a special bottle. This is how she'll feed, etc., etc. And at which point I said, you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to stop. I'm not taking this in. And I have nobody with me. I need somebody with me. I said, you're teaching me how to feed my child and I'm, I can't take it in. Uh, it's not going in my head. I'm looking at you and you're saying these things and I'm not remembering anything that you're saying. So the nurse said, I'm going to bring dad. So they got him in and he got there. Um, quite overwhelmed by everything. So just kind of was there. Um, I don't think really took much in anyway because uh, I think he was quite overwhelmed by everything. And yeah, I have to say the the team member who who I kind of bonded with eventually and we saw every day was Vicky and I sobbed when Vicky left us. She was the most incredible nurse. Um, but yeah, so they then at that point explained she'd need surgery and they probably would do it uh, around 10 months. Um, they kind of explained that she might struggle with feeding and a few other bits, which she did. So it took her about eight weeks to get her birth weight back. Um, and we had two hourly feeds for eight weeks two hourly feeds 24 hours of the day for eight weeks straight trying wow. to get our way up which I now look back and think how the hell did I do that because I was expressing because I wanted to give her breast milk so it was express feed the express took 40 minutes and then the feed took 40 minutes because she was not feeding well so it was like a continuous thing, just 24 hours of the day for eight weeks. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, I did it. Don't know how. If you asked us to do it again, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Physically, don't know how I did it. But yeah, it's mad really, isn't it? When you when you look back and you think, how did I, how did I do that? Um, so yeah, we kind of, it was, it was tough. But I think when she was born, what I found really difficult was to me she was just perfect and people kept saying things like oh I just got something wrong with her um I know what a sentence I know, to say I know and um yeah there was a couple of like comments like that and I just think and they would go e, it's lucky she hasn't got the lip because everybody thinks of cleft lip e, she's lucky she hasn't got the lip and I think well even if she did what, what does that mean? You know, she's still a beautiful, gorgeous, healthy baby. She needs some help in this, in assistance with this. And we, as the NHS, should be extremely thankful for these surgeons and people that do these kind of like incredible, miraculous things. Um, Was there any charities that you were put in touch with? No, not really. So the cleft palate team were with us through the whole way. Um, first year of Adeline's life mm -hmm. and I saw Vicky at least three times a week 
for the first six months. Like she was just there. She was there all the time and, and she was really support really supporting. Lovely human and Addy loved her. Um but other than that, there was Facebook groups and other stuff, but no, I walked. <laughs> Funny enough, I just walked. I walked for about three or four hours a day. Um and that was like my way of getting out and, and kind of escaping from I guess everything and how how you said you, you had a couple of friends that were pregnant at the same time yeah did that change not a relationship with them but mm-hmm. did they not know how to approach things or I think people were kind of a bit like congratulations and sorry at the same time and I was like no 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 this doesn't define who she is which is why I've never really spoke about it because Addie isn't a cleft baby she's just Addie do you know what I mean she's this happy, hilarious, most gorgeous, well-natured, perfect little child. And she has had a cleft palate. (laughs) It's not, you know, this is when you're first introduced, you know, when I was first shown people have had a baby, they were like, oh, isn't she gorgeous? Isn't she lovely? How are you feeding? Are you breastfeeding? And at the time I was like, no, no, we're just bottle feeding. And like, they would be like, oh, can I feed her? And I'm like, oh no, she needs a special bottle. And then you know, whatever it might be. Thankfully, it was COVID, so we didn't get a lot of intrusive kind of people saying, can I hold her, can I this, can I that. Um, but yeah, no, I think there was just a lot of... It's that it's that thing where it makes somebody else uncomfortable because they don't know what to say. And, and I kind of would rather people ask questions and people say, oh, so what does that mean? How does that, how does she cope with that? Because then I can talk about it and I know they're not uncomfortable. My concern was always around, I'm going to make them uncomfortable if I talk about this. And they're going to be like, oh, oh, I don't know what to say. Do you know what I mean? So I just kind of, I didn't thought, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to tell this person and that person. So I just didn't really talk about it when she was first born. Now I do. Now I'll, I'll kind of, and I'm out the other side of it now. She's had her surgery. It was very successful. I could have kissed the surgeon. So what did they do with the surgery then? So they fully repaired the palate. It's miraculous um, and fully restored and have given her a full soft and hard palate. So she's um, she has a soft and hard palate now. With her... So they didn't graft anything with Addy. I think sometimes they do have to, but they I don't think they did. It was a six-hour surgery. So a ten months. Ten months old, yeah. And she was... Um, tiny so getting her kind of on the bed and stuff when that first happened was just oh, do you know when they put them under and things she just oh, she was a trooper absolute trooper traumatized me but she was absolutely fine um and the team were great and i've got nothing but amazing stuff to say about the rbi now after that they were absolutely brilliant with her um so yeah they repaired it and then she hopefully won't need any more maybe she might but she might not She'll need some orthodontists um, help for our teeth. And she is more likely to get ENT kind of infections, which we know now. As she's two now, she's had quite a few of them. And yeah, um, our hearing. Um, she gets quite a lot of hearing checks just in case that goes. So yeah, other than that, she's absolutely great. Um, and she's just the happiest little child. And she's just a trooper. She just plods on. The first six months were really difficult um, 
because she also had reflux. And this is probably why I don't tell this story because it feels like, really? And there's more? <laughs> but, but she had reflux and with a, with a baby who's, who has a cleft palate, if you imagine there's nothing there. So when she's sick, it comes out of her nose and her mouth because there's just that, there's that gap there. So when she vomited or when she sneezed or if she got any food, sometimes it would all come out of her nose, um, which we found quite cute. So, and she was fine. At first it would obviously distress her, but then eventually they said it, she would become not bothered by it. So yeah, she, she had a lot of reflux, which eventually meant she essentially, the best way I can describe it is every time we put her flat, she was choking. So the, the sick would kind of sit and, and pull and block both of our airways. Because imagine if you're sick, you've still got your nose to breathe through. She kind of, that, it blocked both. So we kept her upright for six months. We had to hold her upright for a whole six months. Just 24 hours of the day. Couldn't put her down at all. Couldn't put her flat. So that was like, yeah, that was difficult because, you know, when you put your baby on the mat or even change them or they play with the little kind of, yeah yeah we didn't have any of that and sleeping was just impossible just impossible another level another level of anxiety because if I slept and she choked in the night and you know we had monitors on on our for oxygen levels through the night because they'd said put her down to sleep for the night and I couldn't because it alarmed it just alarmed and alarmed and alarmed and I was like, I have to pick her up. She's choking. She's so it was just like really tough. I couldn't do a long journey with that two, three minutes if I was by myself. Cause if she was in the car and she's vomited or sicked, she would just choke. So it was just really, really stressful. When she got to six months and start they started her on fit solids about five and a half months actually. And everything changed. I'm the only parent ever that becomes less worried about their child choking when they start foods. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she she just, and then she ate and ate and ate and ate. She ate a 12-inch pizza now, just two. She just ate. She's making up for ate. it. Yeah, yeah. So she kind of did really well with solid food and that stopped all those, that issue. She can't, She was on medication and stuff for it as well, but one-year-old, she came off all of that. And um, yeah, at nursery now, even the... The teachers don't know... The only thing they have to do is a little bit more speech and language. Other than that, she's just the same as every other kid. Um, not that she has to be, but um, for her, I think, she's just come so far to where she is now. She's a trooper. She's a little trooper. Is there anything pre-parent mm-hmm. that you would like to be like, I cannot believe that I even thought that that was going to be a thing? Um, I think it's just the expectation, isn't it, of what you're going to... There's this, like... And this is just life in general. This isn't having babies. But there's this kind of picture-perfect life that is portrayed on the internet, I think. Social media especially. That's just kind of very... The... Has become the norm. It's like that incredible life has become standard. So normal life is not... Is not... Celebrated. Yeah or fun anymore whereas I think the same thing with Addie when you get pregnant you picture something don't you in your head and you fantasise it and you think right this is what it's going to be like and I can't wait for this moment and that moment and 
and and yeah I think I just wish I didn't do that because what I've got and what I've had with her is so much better than what I ever imagined anyway so why and and then I kind of feel like I went through this process of of grieving things like breastfeeding and and the potential story that I thought we were going to have and changing that round in my head and I think well if I didn't have that in the first place I would have just been like I wouldn't have gone through that middle section of oh is everything going to be okay yeah of course it's okay it's absolutely great we have the best time ever and we have had since the day she was born she has been the smiliest happiest happiest child since the day she was born and for me I didn't I didn't envisage the right things. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's the only thing. If I could go back and tell myself something, it would be, you know, what don't set expectations. Just just let it be and enjoy every second. And, and, and yeah, I think that's what I would have done. Be more in the moment kind of totally. thing. Totally. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's my moment, mm-hmm. and that's what and makes it special. Else exactly, that's what makes it special. And I think, yeah, I just would I wouldn't have the expectations that I did have before pregnancy. If I'd have, if I'd have if someone had have told me now, going back when I first started stressing, there might be something wrong, as we say, with the baby. If someone had have said to me, yes, she's gonna have a cleft palate, she's gonna go through surgery, she's gonna this, she's gonna that, she's gonna the other. I would have been like, all right, okay, I can deal with that. I can deal with that, that's good. Do you know what I mean? It's like, the I think processing it the way I did um, just just took a bit of time. Just took some time and, and it was a lot all at once. And again, COVID, I didn't really have the support that I wanted at all or could have any other time of the year. Um, she's a proper COVID baby. Like born during the height of everything. So yeah, I think, you know, I didn't really have the visitors. And if you did have a visitor, it was the guilt. Oh my God, what if they brought COVID in the house? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's been a difficult, the most difficult time of my entire life, but also the most incredible. But I even think if you didn't have all this hardship, mm-hmm. it still is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. parenting mm-hmm. in general yeah. Yeah. is a mind-boggling oh, mess. totally. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I come to work some days. The, the mam guilt is unbearable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The mam guilt, and where does it come from? Because I, this is what I would love to find out. Where does mam guilt come from? Is it a maternal thing? that we have, and I've read up on this, and apparently part of it is maternal, where you are drawn back to your child. So if you come to work, you feel guilty for going to work because you have this drawback to your child. Blokes don't have that. They don't have that maternal guilt. Because they don't have that natural maternal instinct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we created yes. the human. grew, created, birthed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told you what my mum guilt's called, didn't I? You did. Brenda, Brenda bitch. bitch. Like, yeah, name her, yeah. shame her. Yeah, it's 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 tough. It's really tough. I think, like you say, she's two now, which is absolutely great. Health health wise, she has no issues whatsoever. She does some really cute things actually. So Adeline's milk, when she says milk, she does struggle with the cut because if if you say the word cut, you're using your soft palate at the back. So 
Instead of that, Adeline's decided that to make this noise instead. So when she says milk, it's milk. <laughs> I love that. Which is so unique and lovely. And obviously she's going to have help with going through how to kind of correct that. But I mean, come on, it's cute. <laughs> we don't even need to correct that. I know, I know, yeah. Is there anything that your parents mm-hmm. did for you as a child mm-hmm. or instilled in you that you would want to instill in Addie? Oh, God, yeah, so much. Um, more so stuff when I get older, but I mean, if you think about it, my mum is a superhero to me. I have one child, and we had um, a little bit of a difficult start with Addie, bless her. My mum had three under 10 months. I don't know how. And my, myself and my sister were both very early, so very premature and quite unwell. So I don't know how she did it. She was by herself with three under 10 months. So, Have you heard her origin story as a parent? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, I think more than anything, one of the things that my mum instilled in me is, is, is graft and work and work hard and that the value of something is only valuable if you've really kind of really worked for it. So the value of things. Um, I mean, as much as I want to, you know, everything I do in this business is to, to for Addy. If I could have 10 million pounds for her tomorrow, every, every parent would, wouldn't they? You'd kind of, what would I do though? I'd still make her work. She's not going to be given anything. <laughs> she'll work for it and she'll have to earn and she'll have to learn the value. So that's one thing definitely that my mum instilled in me very young that I think has given me a really good work ethic and I want to make sure she has that as well. So definitely that. We have a little tradition yes. on the Journal of a Madman. Lovely. The parent tip jar. Lovely. Oh, it's not making a noise today. <laughs> so, um, our lovely parents on Instagram have put some parent tips Fabulous. in here. Fabulous. Could you pick one out yeah. at random? Give it a little read out and then give us your... Just take. Take on it. Yeah. Got Agree, one. Got one. disagree. That you want to breastfeed, they should help you. Do we think they is... The partner. The partner or the health visitors or the midwives? So, this is probably one of the best questions for me because I believe genuinely that even if the mother is fully breastfeeding and doing absolutely all of the, the actual feeding, the partner, in my eyes, should stay up. I honestly really do believe at some point they should be staying up. Because if you've ever gone through it, if you've ever been through that best breastfeeding journey, sitting up and feeding a child on repeat over and over and over again can be lonely. I know you have a newborn baby there, but it can be lonely and it's difficult. And sometimes all you need is a drink of water because you drink water by the gallon when you're breastfeeding. Sometimes you might need some help staying awake. Sometimes you might need a conversation just to stay awake. Sometimes you might need, yeah, a snack. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning. I used to have snacks by the bed. Did you do that? Yeah. I had snacks by the bed. A little toast trip. Yeah. So stuff, I think from my point of view, yes, I really do think the partner should be involved and should help with that. I think it's... I think it's vital 
and I know it's a lot of guys do, and again, this isn't talked about enough, is that men struggle when they can't give something, when the babies can't give something back. They don't know how to deal with that. They don't even know how to talk to the baby. They don't know how to... Women, it's quite instinctual. Um, and I think a lot of guys do struggle with those at least first six months. Um, but that's never talked about, which it should be more. But yeah, I do think that people should help. I do think the partners should be helping. Um, if you have a partner and you're breastfeeding, I think you, there should be some kind of schedule or routine or something um, where you can both equally get a decent amount of sleep and, and try and, and make it equal rather than... Or if it works for you, I know one of my friends, she said, I do all the feeding and he does all the nappies. That's great. That works. It feels like both of you are taking it's some of It's a partnership, isn't it? Yeah. She says, I put it in and he takes it out. You know, like, you know, so it's that, it is that partnership and that togetherness and that we're in this together kind of. Because it changes you as a, as a relationship and a dynamic. So it changes you as a human. Absolutely. Individually. But then within your partnership, it's like, hold on, we need to re, redo all of this, yeah. work out who's responsible yeah. for what. And, you know, with Fred, Dill didn't know, mm-hmm. well... He he did actually still do because I expressed as well. Yeah. And he wanted to feed one bottle, mm-hmm. um, and he would do the middle of the night, so I could get you know the two three o'clock, so I could get a chunk of sleep. Um, and then we were at my brother's house, and he informed him that when you're back at work, you don't do that. No, he didn't. So my husband was like, "So I am I'm I'm tapping out. That's you're not at work. You do all of the feeds." No. And he didn't do any more right. after that. And I was like, that, that's not a thing. Not a thing. I'm not at work, but I am making sure this job. human is alive. Yeah. Like, help a woman out. Mm-hmm. But it's that conversation that is essential, I think. It, it, it might be, like I say, that you come to some conversational agreement where you say, you do all the feeds, I'll do all the nappies. Mm-hmm. If that works for you guys as a couple, or as, a, as a family, great. Continue with that. I think there's a there is an assumption she's breastfeeding, she doesn't need my help. Well, that's very debatable because it depends on what help is. Because help is also support. And support can also be a conversation. As we've discovered, do you know what I mean? It can be a walk, it can be a chat, it can be so needing help with breastfeeding isn't always the physical side of it. Just a hand on you. Exactly. Your... I had it when you were speaking there, I had the worst visual of me asleep and deal with his hand on my tit <laughs> holding the baby. Yeah, yeah. Like, that sometimes is just that support, right? We're all in this yes, together. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels doable, doesn't mm-hmm. it? When you've got that. feels like we can do this. As a team, we can do this. But yeah, I definitely think there should be at least a conversation about how much help. Who's doing all the bottles? Who's doing all the sterilising? Who's doing all the, you know, all those different things? If you if you're not if you're not breastfeeding, no excuse whatsoever. Share it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you are breastfeeding, then again there is like cups that need emptying on one side. There's because there's pads that you can get. There's a million things that the the they probably your partner's never thought of that you have to do while you're breastfeeding. There's again snacks, water, drinks, food at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, whenever it is. Fine, but you don't want to feel like you're asking too much. So I think 
just share it out, have the conversation and, and make sure that it's kind of equal. Yeah, definitely. That's my advice on that one. Well, thank you very much. No problem. So, Miss Kim, <laughs> thanks. No problem. Hope it's been um, helpful or if anybody's listening with kind of, yeah, if any anxiety around pregnancy or anything like that, enjoy every day. It's my advice. And even if there is something that, you know, crops up, I'm testament, it'll be fine. And not only fine, like, I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't. Well, I think that's a brilliant place to leave it. So I'll leave you with your busy schedule. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And that's it. All done. If you'd like to share your own crazy stories on parenting, please follow me on Instagram and send me your journal entries at Mama Social Co. And I promise to keep them anonymous if you want me to. Also, remember to hit follow, subscribe, share. And if you want to leave me a little review, I'd really appreciate your feedback. So that's it. Have a great day and see you soon. <laughs>